This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Uh, this morning, I know, uh, like I said, this week has been an interesting week in many ways. I think culminating in uh, what we saw yesterday in terms of the fuel queues. Uh, who was in a fuel queue yesterday? Who was in a food, food queue yesterday? Uh, who, who says, oh man, I remember 2008 yesterday. I kind of feel you all and just taking from what Pastor Fidelis shared this morning. But uh, I love our daily Bible reading program. Because yesterday's daily Bible reading in Jeremiah, you know, you know, I, I listened to it in the morning before we came out, and uh, didn't really make sense. You know, I heard it, but then as the day went wore on and panic set in, you know, it began. To, some of these words began to make sense. In Jeremiah uh, 17, verse five, the Bible says this. It says, "Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh." And makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inherit parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Verse 7 says this, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the water, who spreads out his roots by the river. He will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease to yield fruit. You know, I meditated on that scripture, and uh, everything Pastor Tom has been sharing. You know, just in the past year, uh, from this pulpit, what he shared in the word of the year, began to come together and make sense. And I just want to remind us. Firstly, he says, it is futile for us to write white papers, come up with strategies, policies, if the very seedbed of our vision is not based on seeking God. The Bible says, cursed is anyone who trusts in man. Cursed is anyone who puts his trust in a government that is worldly and fleshly. It says, good will come and you will not see it. That means, even when things are going bad, there is a people who see good. Who are those people? The Bible says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. There is a people, like Pastor Fidelis is saying, in this crisis, who will see good. Who will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. No matter how pressed it is, I want to remind us again, 2009, 2008, 2007, Pastor Tom was teaching us about the kingdom of God. And he said the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's not about how much the price of oil is. 
or how much the price of bread will be, or how much sugar is in the stores, or how much sugar is not in the stores. He says the kingdom of God is righteousness, which is right thinking, peace, and joy. There is a massive distraction taking place right now. And so far as to say, if our trust is misplaced, we'll find ourselves in a cursed place, where we're in a parched land, where we're in a dry, salted land. And the Bible says, in that place, it doesn't mean goodness is not happening. It just means because your trust is misplaced, you will not see it. So the distraction is this. The distraction is to get us out of the kingdom. How many of you say I was a bit anxious yesterday? I know I was there. I've been a bit anxious this morning. They say to me, the rate is now on two whatever. I go, whoa, how are we going to do business? It's a 2% tax, whoa. How are we going to get the kids to school when there's no fuel? You see, the distraction keeps us focused on what are we going to eat, where are we going to sleep, what are we going to do, what are we going to wear. The Bible says that these are the entry-level things in Matthew 6. It says, but if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things. Now, either I believe that all these things will run out and I'll be without, or I believe that if I change my focus and focus on him, if I change my trust and put my trust in him, then he who promised is faithful, that all these things will be added. That we will see the goodness of the Lord even in a dry place. So, I began to ask myself the question, because I've been seeing social media, you know, and you know, I've partaken of it as well. I repent, Lord. No, seriously, I do. I have partaken of it. The anxiety and the shouting and the... I've partaken of it. And I've seen the jokes have started to fly around. About fuel, about, you know, inflation, about wheelbarrows and money and that kind of thing. And I began to ask myself the question that Pastor Bonnie asks us. Quite often. How does God see this? In fact, let's take that question a step further. If Jesus were around, present here today, what would his conversation be like? What would he be addressing? Because this happened in the day of Jesus when he walked the earth. The children of Israel were in bondage under the Roman oppression. They had a king who was horrible. Sounds familiar. They were taxed to death. Sounds familiar. And the people were looking for a Messiah who would come and address the economic issues. And give them an economic turnaround. 
But Jesus came when he opened his mouth, said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus did not come to address an economic turnaround issue. He came to address a heart turnaround issue. And when the heart turnaround issue was addressed, it was inevitable that the economic turnaround issue would be addressed. So Zimbabwe, we find ourselves in that place again. And yes, we may get to a point where 2008 happens again, or even worse. The Bible prophesies that. The word of the year has been warning us that things will get darker. But the word of the year also gives us a promise. It says, here's what Pastor Tom says. He says, I've said to you before, and I'll repeat it again. You must understand God's word in your mouth is just as powerful as God's word in his mouth. God needs a vehicle to speak his word into the atmosphere, to speak his word into situations, not just arbitrary words, but inspired words, words out of praise, words out of the spirit and truth. God is looking for such a people. So we can get caught up in a trap of distraction once again where we queue for fuel, queue for bread, and we begin to talk about the crisis we're facing. Or we can say, God, here I am as a vehicle. I don't think it's a coincidence this is happening when in, in October, in our missions month, where our theme is Acts, another chance to serve. I believe God is looking for a vehicle to speak through and change the atmosphere. To speak his truth. Because we can't Carry on propagating fear. The Bible's very clear. We'll be in a parched land and goodness will pass us by. But if we can point to trusting in him, the Bible says we'll be like a tree planted by the river whose leaves don't wither. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of looking to the hills. Tired of looking to man. That's not where the help comes from. My help, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In whom there's no variation, there's no change of policy. No shadow of turning. He's the author of light. That's who I choose to believe He says, the one, this one, will not let your foot slip because he neither sleeps nor slumber. The one who watches over Israel, watches over his people, neither sleeps nor slumbers. Celebration Church. The fruit of looking to government, politicians, has brought us here. If we carry on looking to them, We'll be back where we were. Our help comes from him. Now the Bible's clear. We pray for them. We must continue to do that. That they do come to a place where they repent and seek him. Our turnaround is not from a policy outside this country. Our turnaround is turning our hearts back to him. That's where our turnaround is. 
And we must pray that that revelation comes upon our leaders. That revelation comes, and when I speak leaders, I'm not just speaking those in government. I'm speaking to us, the leaders in homes, the leaders in the church, the leaders in society, every aspect, including you and I as individuals. So this morning, I want to speak to us about we kicking off the Acts theme in our missions month. And I've titled this message, The Kingdom Dash a Family Business. Jesus left the disciples and upon resurrecting, he found them. This is nothing new. I want to let us know. This is not happening for the first time. This has happened before. God is not somehow caught off guard by what's happening in Zimbabwe. He still sits on the throne. Because Jesus walked with 12 men for three years. They saw the miracles he performed. He took them from being fishermen. They needed to fish to eat every day to another realm where they did God's business and they were taken care of. And they saw supernatural increase and supernatural provision daily, on a daily basis. But in the day that Jesus, they thought Jesus left, in the day even though he said, I'll return, I will arise, in the day that they felt Jesus had been crucified, died, and abandoned them, in John 21, Peter says this, I'm going to go back fishing. We have a choice. We can go back to our attitudes and the way we carried ourselves in 2008 or whenever it was. Or we can say today, and Jesus, the Bible says that he came to the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus says, he says, friends, children, do you have any fish? Do you have any results for your anxiety? Do you have any results for going backward to your fleshly ways and fleshly provision? I have called you to a higher place than that. Do you have any fish? Do you have any fruit for your much labor? And he said, no. He said, let me remind you how this journey started. Cast your nets on the other side. Let me explain to you. We went to the Sea of Galilee. I don't even understand how they were not catching fish. Because the moment you put your feet in the water in the Sea of Galilee, thank God there are no crocodiles. Fish begin to bite your feet. There's so much fish, they bite your feet. So when that says they caught no fish, it, it boggles my mind. There's so much fish, you don't need worms. Here we fish with worms. They, they just come to where you are and they bite you. You can reach in and... But friends, do you have any fish? Friends, do you have any fuel? 
if you were here today. Let's see where this journey began. In John 1, verses 35 to 42, if you can open your Bibles there. We see the calling of the disciples. In the calling of the disciples, and I'll begin to read as you get there. It says, again the next day, John stood with two, two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, what do you seek? And he said to them, Rabbi, which is to say translated teacher, where are you staying? Mm. What shall we eat? What shall we wear? Where will we get fuel? Where shall we stay? What's going to happen to rentals? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where you are staying and remained with him for that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard Jesus speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said to him, you're Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated stone. You see, Andrew found his brother, Peter, first and influenced him to follow Christ. You see, family can be the greatest influences towards our destiny or they can be the greatest hindrances. Luke 5 chronicles the story a bit further, which talks about what happened when Peter and Andrew were called. Andrew probably had the encounter with Jesus first, and then Jesus went out doing kingdom business and found these men fishing. And Jesus asks Peter for his boat. He says, can you give me your boat for what I need to do? Jesus gets on the boat and preaches to the multitudes. Peter and his brother and other fishermen had spent the whole night again on the Sea of Galilee and caught nothing. In a place where fish bite your feet when you put your feet in water. Jesus says, throw your net. After he had done what he needed to do and used their boat, he says, throw your net. And they caught, caught a boatload of fish. You all remember the story. Peter repents and he says, I'm a sinner. Jesus says to him, come follow me. But in there, in this whole experience, were two other brothers, James and John. And the Bible says they forsook their livelihood and followed him. Are you and I willing to give Jesus our boat? Is Jesus in our boat? 
Or are we doing this by our own strength? Because if Jesus is in our boat, at his word, the situation can change. The Bible says that these two sets of brothers became the first disciples to follow Jesus. Now I began to think to myself, is it a coincidence that the first disciples called who, were, who responded were brothers, family? Or is Jesus trying to reveal a pattern here that we all must learn from? Because he himself came to reveal God as father to us and came in the form of a son, family. How can he come and call us to family and not attract family? In the same way, I honestly believe when each of us get born again, God wants access to our family. Think about Andrew. Andrew is mentioned maybe three times or four in the Bible. But his impact is eternal. His impact caused his brother, Peter, to come into the kingdom. It is Peter, who we all remember, who denied Jesus Christ three times. But Jesus still gave him the job to be his ambassador. It is Peter who in one breath uttered the greatest mystery solved, that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the son of the living God. And in the next breath uttered the words of the devil himself. It is Peter who God used to take the gospel out to the Gentiles for the first time. Peter, who explained and ushered in the new dispensation when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts 2. It is this same Peter who masterminded a jailbreak, the first jailbreak in the New Testament while he slept. Behind him was a brother who cared enough to share Jesus with him. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus points to brothers, points to family, as his first disciples called to him. I think it's very deliberate because I believe that he expects us to do the same. When Peter himself took this gospel out to the Gentiles, to Cornelius and his family, in Acts 10, God shows up to him in a vision, says, go to our house, I'll show you this man called Cornelius. He says, I'll not, you know, you need to go and read the story. Peter arrives at Cornelius' house. He listens to what Cornelius says, says, you know, I had a dream I, and it said I should send for you. Now you've come here. The Bible says Cornelius had gathered all his, his entire household and his close friends. 
And Peter began to speak to them about the gospel, about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He was playing his role as ambassador. That Jesus died and rose from the dead, that there may be remission of sin. And before he could even finish ministering, the Holy Spirit came down. And the Bible says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The first account of the Holy Spirit coming down on Gentiles. And what was the setting? It was to an entire household. It was to a family. What do you think Peter's conversation must have sounded like at the table with Cornelius? You know, here's what my imaginary mind must have gone to. Cornelius, you did very well. You know, the last time the Holy Spirit fell this way, we we're all in one room and we're all united and we're all one in heart. Because of a man called Jesus, he had united us as family. And the Holy Spirit came down. You know, I've seen the Holy Spirit come down again. I think it's got something to do with your heart of pursuing God and uniting your family. The Bible says that, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. The Bible says that in that place, God commands a blessing, life forevermore. So it is God's, Peter must have said to Corinthians, you know what? This kingdom business, this kingdom business I'm leading is a family business. I want you to imagine the Italian mafia. It's a family business. It's a family. This, this is a family business. And this family business allows for nepotism. You're allowed to recruit your family members first. Give them preference. Bring them into high positions. Because it's a family business. And when, when we do that, when we bring the family, you need to watch The Godfather, or maybe you need not to. When you bring them into the family, heaven delights. Peter's conversation must have been so stirred up. This is a family business. So I want to liberate us this morning. The kingdom of God allows for nepotism in recruitment into the kingdom. Because Jesus' entryway himself was by nepotism. The one who prepared the way was not just any ordinary prophet. It was his cousin. John the Baptist. If you go backward in Jesus' lineage, there's a woman called Ruth. whose mother-in-law, who she said, now, you're not just my mother-in-law, you're my people. Your people become my people. And the mother-in-law sets her up with another man. Oh, you need to figure out the scandal. <laughs> sets her up with another man. 
and puts her into a destiny where she comes into the lineage of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is a family business. And it being a family business, God is looking for a doorway to your family. Now I know, personal experience, it is much easier to be holy and accepted amongst those that don't know you. Because family can be difficult, isn't it? I mean, there are three things family do. One, family can get familiar with you. They got familiar with Jesus. He was in his calling, doing his ministry. They said, hey, take a break, come with us. So family can get familiar and you can easily get switched off to family. But what if Andrew had switched off to Peter? What if Naomi had switched off to Ruth? What if Mordecai had switched off to Esther? Because they're family. And they can get very familiar. In fact, sometimes they don't listen when we tell them, God will, if, if you won't stand up, God will find another. Family. The Bible says that a prophet is without honor in his own home. So family have seen you and I naked. They have our history. They have our files. They know what we were like. And it's, not, they do not so easily accept us as a stranger. So it is easy to discount family but not Jesus. Because even though his family got familiar with him at the cross, he still looked at his one disciple and he said, take care of this one. His brother James became the leader of the disciples in Jerusalem and wrote the book of James, it is purported. That's because he didn't give up on his family. Neither should you and I give up on our family. No matter how familiar they get. You know, it is shocking sometimes as a pastor when we go to a wedding or we do a funeral. And you know, at a funeral, we, we do the eulogies. And or sometimes, you know, in our African funerals, you know, we go to the home. We, you know, while, while the, when you finish ministering the word, you're gathered with the relatives. And you're maybe waiting for the sadza to come. And you're saying nice things about the bereaved. And the family is going, oh, okay, okay, oh. They can't even say an amen. Because the person was one thing to the church, another thing to his family. The father was one thing in church. Another thing to his children. The husband was an elder in church. Another thing to his wife. The wife was a deaconess in church. A monster at home.
So it's a bit awkward when we stand here and we testify and eulogize and do picture eulogies and we struggle to find family pictures. And all the pictures we have are you at church. It's a problem when we meet your mother for the first, or father for, or brothers for the first time at your funeral. Or sometimes we may be lucky to meet them at your wedding. But how does God see this, as Pastor Bonnie says? Could it be that the day you encountered Jesus, it was to bring your brother along and unlock the destiny in him? Or your sister-in-law and unlock the destiny in them. Family can be the biggest influences to us walking into our destiny or the biggest hindrances. You know, we're at the parenting seminar and Pastor Danny reinforced this yesterday. He pulled out this old, big Bible. It, it actually can be a weapon. Probably is, you know, the Bible says it is a weapon, actually. It is a weapon. And he says this Bible goes, dates back to the patriarch in the curls. Dates back to 1840 or something like that. The one who came to know Jesus. And the Bible is still there in the family today. Then he said something very outstanding. He says, today, all the curls are saved. There is not a curl alive that doesn't know Jesus. I thought, yo. Yo. Heck, there are a lot of mtungwazis that don't know Jesus. Am I, able going to, am I ever going to be able to stand or my great-grandchild ever able going to, to stand and make such a proclamation? And he, take, he took us through that these things don't happen by osmosis. Oh, poof. They're saved. No. It takes intentionality. The Bible says in Acts 16.31, it says... Believe and you and your household shall be saved. Now, was God joking? Was he somehow saying maybe? He says all. He doesn't say some. And the Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. So the reason I probably don't have that now and I won't have that tomorrow is I don't believe it. How do you know I don't believe it? Because the Bible says that faith without works is dead. You will know I believe that my household shall be saved by the way I'm acting towards my household. Eighteen forty. It's still echoing in eternity today. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to let you know that God desires that you and your entire household are saved. And God can stop a whole apostle like Paul from going into Asia just to go to one prison guard so his entire household is saved. 
God can change the heart of a hard man like Peter, a hard-head like Peter, who believed it was only for the Jews. Just for one household, he went to Kolila. One household. Do you think God cannot stop, arrest, do what he needs to do for your household? Mary, let you know that God is interested in our households being saved. God is interested in our families being saved because the kingdom is a family business. He desires that none should perish. The Bible says this in Acts 1 verse 8. It says, but you shall receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. What does Jerusalem represent? Jerusalem represents home turf, home ground. First the Jews, the family, the inner family. How many of you would like it if your favorite sports team won consistently away from home and lost on home turf every time? Would you like it? Come on, Manchester fans. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, bad. Slip on the tongue, I'm sorry. Sorry. Mm. No. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not sorry. Red devils lose home and away. <laughs> That's what the Bible says. No, seriously. Home teams are supposed to win at home. So why won't it happen for believers? You're winning away from home but losing at home. Oof. That's not biblical. The Bible says even for elders, Pastor Danny, the qualification is you win first at home. Then in the church. That's what Pastor Daniel was teaching us. That God does want our families saved. God does want. But what do we do? I think we've got to change our attitudes for some of us. That's why we have acts this month. Guess what? As a fuel crisis hits, a relative that may have never spoken to you may speak to you for five liters of fuel. It's another chance to serve. It's acts. Another chance to serve. Another chance to win. You know, when, when hunger bites, a relative that may have cursed you may knock on your door for some. Are you going to turn them away? Or are you going to say, it's another chance to serve? Another chance for God to come in to my family because I am the door and God wants to use me for the salvation of my family.
So I want you to think about that. I want us to think about that. Think deeply. And try and follow the model Jesus followed. Now I want to leave you with three quick points. Three quick things that we can do this month to kickstart this. This doesn't end in October. This is to kickstart this as a lifestyle that we live. Firstly, be intentional. You see, family are the most difficult to win because they know your acts from before. They are probably not going to trust your words. They need to see your acts from now. They need to see the acts of the new creation to believe that Jesus has come into the new creation. To believe this Jesus, they need to see your acts. They'll open up their hearts when we perform acts of kindness to them. We seek out another chance to serve. Pastor Tom puts it this way. He says, show me, don't tell me. Second thing, pray for them. Mm. Nothing prepares the ground like prayer. Ask for God to intervene on their behalf. You know, I wouldn't be standing here had it not been for a woman I loved dearly. That's called my mother. And it came out of a tragic situation where my father died and my mother went into a terrible depression. I mean terrible. I mean, she be, Pastor Danny, she became an irresponsible mother. I just want to let you know. My mother locked herself up for nine months. Didn't speak to any of us. Well, she said hello, good night, hello, good night. Didn't clean her room. Nothing. She, all we kept seeing were book deliveries and book deliveries and books piled up in her bedroom. And I mean, it was crazy. One day after nine months, she got up and started cleaning the room. Just started cleaning the room putting things in order, came out, asked for forgiveness, said, you know, forgive me, I've been absent. Well, we thought, wow, that's odd. You know? None of us knew she had had an encounter with God. None of us knew that in those nine months, she was asking to be led to a rock that's higher than her, or higher than her husband. And she encountered Jesus Christ. None of us knew that the books that were being delivered were books from TV ministries and 700 Club and people sending her material. And she read and read and read until she came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ on her own. We didn't know that. We just thought mom's gone cuckoo. April 9th. 1998, my mom says, I want to see all three of you at home. I said, what for? She says, I, I want you at home. We got home, she had some candles on, and I thought, oh gosh, she's going to pray. Oh, Lord. And when my mother prays, it can be a three-hour deal. Oh, And she says, I want to pray for you individually. Guaranteed. 
three hours, one hour here, one hour there, maybe an hour and a half for me because I had real problems. Oh, you know, I, my attitude stunk. I was upset. I was gritting my teeth. And she prayed. She did. It didn't take three hours, thankfully, but it uh, took a heck of a long time for me. And then she gave us each a Bible. And I remember my Bible said, Dear Tazarurwa, this book contains the secrets to life. You will never know as much as what's in this book. Read it and begin to live. That was the instruction. 9 April 1998. I took that Bible, I went and put it somewhere where I stayed. I couldn't even remember. But 10 days later, I got born again. Supernaturally. Supernaturally. Because someone was intentional. They kept praying, and the third point, they didn't give up on me. Now, let me bring the story home. 1971, a young man is born while well, he's in a family of eight kids and his parents, and the seven siblings go on a charismatic Catholic camp. He didn't know it was a charismatic Catholic camp. They were Catholic. So he thought, I've been to so many of these Catholic camps, I don't need to go to this one. Well, his family went to this camp and they all got born again, all got filled with the Holy Spirit, all got baptized. When they came back, they were very different. They acted differently towards him. They acted crazy, he says in his book, Building People, Building Dreams. For a year, he kept referring to his family as the weirdos, the crazy ones. But they never gave up on him. Kept telling him about the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Kept telling him he needed to get baptized. He needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One day, one day, he decided to follow them to see what had made them so weird and what had changed them so much that they'd become kinder, gentler people. He encountered Jesus Christ that day. That man pastors us and came to Rhodesia because of the intervention of family. That man is our pastor, Pastor Tom Duchel. Go and read his book. Which destiny is locked up in you not sharing and sharing acts of kindness, sharing Jesus with your family. Whose destiny are you hindering? Which nation's destiny are you hindering? This month, we all have an opportunity. We've made these cards like we did last year. And these cards have acts in the front. You're all going to get one. And it says another chance to serve. And at the back, there's Celebration Church, Borodale. Then it says, this act of kindness was done to remind you that God sees you. 
I'm just here to pass on a message that he loves you. Then it has our service times. Instead of staying in the fuel queue and talking about how bad our government is, how doomed our nation is, when you see an old lady, why don't you prefer her and allow her to take your space and give her a card? The next time you get a full tank of fuel and you have a jerry can at home, what would it take for you to sow five liters to your neighbor next door who hasn't sent kids to school in a week because they haven't had fuel? And you give them this that says, this act of kindness is because God sees you. Oh, let's bring it closer to home. What would it take for you to call your brother or your sister, the one that has mocked you for your faith, and say, hey, I was thinking of you. God didn't give me rest. I've got something to bless you with. And you give them this card. Now, whether they get born again then or not, these things speak into eternity. Can we as a church be deliberate and intentional about showing acts of kindness and sharing Jesus Christ with our family this month? With those close to us this month? I'm going to ask the ushers to give each person. We've, as a seed, as a church, we're taking a step of faith. We're going to give each one one to remind you that at least think of one family member that you can reach out to with an act of kindness. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.